Okay, now I touched in on this, I think, one time before when I was last here a few months back. And kind of the question I want to be asking is, how can we live out a life of a believer in an unbelieving world? Okay, that, that is an increasing tension. Okay, that, that is actually really difficult. Some of you have got long-standing history of being a Christian, growing up in a generation, growing up in a country that was predominantly Christian, had Christian values, Christian met, uh, morals and ethics, and that if you've grown up within that environment, you would have seen that there's been absolutely slide away from that. Some of you might be new to faith and Christianity because you've been part of a generation that hasn't adopted or accepted Christianity as the core values. And so actually, how do we live out our life as a Christian? Those who are a little bit more familiar with it long term, those who are new to it, how do how do Christian values reconcile with the postmodern world in which we're living in? So I reckon it's an important question. How do we live out life in the believer as a believer in the unbelieving world? And it's difficult because how do we teach as teachers? How do we run businesses? How do we talk to others? How do we engage with society that actually has very many different values and different beliefs? I want to be a Christian that lives without compromising and lives with those distinctives, but at the same time, I don't want to abandon uh, the world in which I'm living in by living in isolation. I don't believe as a Christian I should be living in isolation. I don't think that is, it sits with actually uh, God's call or Jesus' call to be salt and light in the world in which we're living in. When Paul talked to the church in Philippi, he said, you are to shine like stars in the wicked and perverse generation. He didn't say you to hide away. He didn't say you to closet yourself away, go into some sort of bunker mentality. Let's just hope it all goes away and when it kind of all, you know, when we emerge, it's all a lot better. I don't believe that is what God is calling us to. So we have this tension. How do we live it out without compromise and conflict in a world that actually doesn't fully embrace or believe what we as Christians do believe? Uh, okay, so next week, actually, Rachel Wilson, you'll be picking up on some other aspects of the Daniel story. Uh, famous bit called Daniel's in the Lion's Den, but actually she's going to be focusing on Daniel before he even got into the Lion's Den. Uh, that's the, where the key work actually took place. Getting into the do, uh, lion's den was actually the outworking. Uh, the key bit that actually happened was the bit before that. And I want to pick up in another well-known, if you're a Christian, well-known narrative from the Daniel sagas, but not so much about Daniel, but about three of his mates, which I think was done in kids' work recently, looking at three of his mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the story of them getting thrown into a fiery furnace. You'll pick it up in Daniel chapter 3. The background on this, in case you are unfamiliar with the story, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of the Babylonian Empire, okay? The biggest, strongest empire of the day. He, uh, in his wisdom, built a golden image, which was huge, 27 meters high, and all of the officials had to come and bow down and worship this image, and if they didn't worship the image, then the threat was that you would get thrown into a furnace, and, uh, you know, a fiery furnace, and ultimately your death. And they were told that when the music starts, you are to bow down to this statue. It's kind of like a crazy, mixed-up version of musical bumps, okay? So when the music starts, you are to bow down. Everyone did that, except three Jewish exiles who had decided not to follow the king's orders. We're going to pick it up. Verse 13, the words will come up. Then King, King, then King Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now that's a key, actually. Why did they do this? We're going to come back to that verse 14. That you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image. 
Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lion, the dragon, and the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to defend ourselves. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that you will not, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than it was usually heated. He kind of got a little bit hot under the collar. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in the cloaks and with their tunics and their hats and their other garments and they were thrown into the furnace. And because the king's orders was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning furnace and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the officials and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the body of these men. The hair of the heads wasn't singed. The cloaks they were wearing weren't harmed. There's no smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered them, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship the God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, language, that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way then king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay, that might be the first time you've ever heard this story. Okay, amazing, amazing story. Okay, these three Israelites who had been forcefully removed from their land and forced to become migrants in Babylon. This was a vast world apart from the world they came from. This is a multicultural, multi-faith society, hugely different from as Jews coming from Jerusalem. They believed in one God. They were now having to live and adopt into a society that had many faiths, many gods. One God, many gods. Now that creates a tension. Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, if you say, if you believe that there is only one God, then immediately you are making all the other beliefs and the belief systems false and invalid. Now, that might sound familiar, because 
the society in which we are currently living in says, listen, if you say that your faith is the only faith, then you are not accepting or being accepting of anyone else's. And therefore, the tension is there. And you are saying that uh, if there's only one way and there's only one God, then you are judging me because of what you believe. In some ways, your beliefs or my beliefs are less valid than yours. That's the world kind of where we're at at the moment. And the buzzword really is tolerance. That everyone has to be tolerant. I don't want to offend. I don't want to cause any difficulty. I don't want to call, cause any embarrassment. Therefore, we will all have to get along with each other and accepting that everyone has different beliefs. You must bow down to the statue, he said. The question is, what's the statue, this golden image? Well, I already highlighted verse 14. It said, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? That you do not serve my gods. Now, it wasn't being imposed upon these Israelites who believed in one God to abandon their belief in the one God in order to adopt a new belief. What it's saying, you can continue worshipping your gods, but you have to accept and continue to worship the other gods as well. In addition, not instead of, alongside, therefore accommodate all beliefs. Worship your God if you wish, but he's not the only God. You've got to allow and incorporate and include everyone else's beliefs. Now, why would Nebuchadnezzar want to do that? Look, he's building an empire. Anyone who wants to build an empire probably wants to have peace within the empire and the best way to have peace within the empire is that everyone has to get along with one another we don't judge we don't oppress anyone else we need to get on and that could be true of the society in which we're living in today it's a good thing okay we want peace within a society you look at what is taking place in in some of kind of like the urban environments in which we're living in there seems to be so much anger and so much hatred and so much uh, angst that is going on of course we want to be seeing peace within that and the argument is that the only way that we will see peace is that no one claims to have the truth or the way everyone has to have equality and validity within their own beliefs now that's where we're at so in 2011 when a census was taken and you could indicate what beliefs you had for the first time there was a box on there says no i don't have any religious beliefs but then there was a whole category of things that people could tick uh, in the UK, I think it averaged in at 69% tick for Christian box. But then there was a whole section of beliefs that went along other main uh, religions in the country. But then it would go down to, I believe in heavy metal, or I believe that I'm a Jedi. Okay, people could believe that. Okay, and in haste, uh, sorry, in haste, no, in Eastbourne, there was 421 people who ticked the box that I am a Jedi. I'm a Jedi Knight. Now, okay, we go, we laugh about that. But actually, we're living in a world that actually says, no, my belief that I'm a Jedi Knight is as equal as a valid as you believe a Christian that Jesus died and was resurrected and he's come to rescue all of mankind. Equality is what is expected because that is the society in which we're living in, which makes the tension as a Christian to how do we live within society. That's why the tension is there. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted the peace. Tolerance is the key. And what do we learn? Well, yeah, there's kind of two types of people in our society. It, you know, I'm sure there's lots more, but the modern contemporary person who's open-minded, who's inclusive, who doesn't want to impose anything or to offend anyone type of person. And then there's another type of person who's the closed-minded, inward-looking, intolerant, die-hard bigot. You choose. Which one do you want to be? 
Do you want to be A, the accepting one, or B, the bigot? Because Christians are being categorized into the B for bigot that you are now intolerant of other people. Guess where Christians, that's where we are. You're clearly against the open and free society and you're oppressing other people's beliefs. Therefore, you are to stop doing what you are doing and you are to stop behaving how you are doing and start doing what we tell you and start believing that we want you to think like this. Now you go, that seems reasonable until you start to work out that actually perhaps that sounds a little bit intolerant and it's a little bit oppressive to be telling me what I ought to be believing. In reality, Christians are actually incredibly tolerant. Because if you look at the, the most important aspect of the Christian faith, Jesus on the cross, the Son of God hanging and bleeding and suffering, dying for people who opposed him, and he didn't defend himself at all. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, challenged by Nebuchadnezzar. And what did they do? And they said in verse 16, in that situation where they were challenged about they said, look, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Actually, we don't need to defend ourselves. Now, it, it, Nebuchadnezzar, he was fuming. He was spitting feathers. He was so cross. But they just remained calm. We don't need to defend ourselves. Why not? Because God can defend us. Now, kings, you're part of kings. You're part of the king's family. <laughs> and with that, you know, there's lots of rumors, and some of those about king's church, some of them are not true which means that some probably are but some of those things are not true and people say things about us if you go online and and look at some of the comments that that are made about us as a church community what do we do in those situations do we stand up and go no you're wrong set up a hashtag movement and start kind of painting rainbows on the side of the building it's like going what do we do about that well in this story how do we react and respond you know probably 95 percent of the things actually we don't need to defend ourselves the, those people who are with us and connected with us and be part of us and those people that we're bumping into in the streets and the neighbors in the community and those conversations that we're having, they understand the heart of what's really going on about. They, they, we don't need to defend ourselves. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to the church in Colossae, he said, look, walk in wisdom towards the outsiders. Make the best use of your time and let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We just go about every day in a calm and a respectful way. And I need to listen to this because I want to defend the church and I want to say that is so not true what you're saying about us, but, oh God, just come and help me just calm down sometimes. I don't want to be like Nebuchadnezzar who's spitting. You know, help me to calm down. I don't need to defend this. Let the people who know us, they will know us. And if necessary, they will defend us. But we don't need to defend ourselves. I want to walk in wisdom. So, if, yeah, some of you might be new to Christianity. Okay? Some of you might be Christians like for, for decades. Some of you might be new to this. But you might have noticed that when you became a Christian, it was like, welcome to the war zone. It, you know, it, it, it just is a battle. And you go, but I didn't sign up to that. I didn't see it in the small print. Look, honestly, it's not even in the small print. It's front and center. Now, if you become a Christian, then you're going to enter into a conflict situation. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to a church in Ephesus, uh, it's his message kind of 
paraphrase, said this, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all the angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help that you can get, every weapon God has fashioned, so when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Okay? We're, we're in a battle here. Okay? And, and we've got to recognize that in, in the world in which we're in, okay, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be opposition to us who are saying, you know, I, I want to live it out as a Christian faith without conflict and without compromise, without conflict in my Christian views and without compromise, but it is going to cause conflict within the world in which we live because they just don't share our values and our beliefs. Uh, uh, you know, just a, a little side here, I bumped into a, uh, a young adult who used to be part of Kings in Eastbourne yesterday, just <laughs> went carpet shopping yesterday and he just happened to be the sales assistant in the carpet place, there's no one else around, so we spent about half an hour just catching up. And he's oh, I oh yeah, I'm not coming to church. He, he sees me, I'm pastor of a church, and he sees me, and the first thing, he doesn't try and sell me carpet, he apologizes, he hasn't been to church for a long time. And I said, what do you want a carpet? Can you do a discount? And, uh, you know, so we end up a conversation, oh, no, I don't go. And then he started giving me every reason why he wasn't going to church. So oh, I'm still believing in God, I'm just doing church on my own. I said, it'll never work. It just doesn't work. I, you know, I've been pastoring a church, King's now, for 13 or 14 years, and I've been in church leadership a little bit longer than that, but my observation is that anyone tries to do church on their own very quickly don't do church at all, and very quickly their relationship with God is gone. We need one another. We need to be in community. In that verse, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help that you can get. Don't step out. It's not the time to step out. You know, again, uh, you know, really going off tangent here. You know, partly the, you know, my daughter is 21. You know, uh, we, we, you know, it's difficult talking to a 21 year old because 21 year olds don't want to be talked to by parents. And uh, you know, uh, she kind of almost said it in humour, but in seriousness, I'm a strong, independent woman. And then Belinda, my wife, went, "No, no, you're not. You're a strong, interdependent woman. We're interdependent upon one another. Don't don't stand in independence. It's kind of like a Western culture thing." It's not a godly thing. We're in community. Th- those are real couple of asides there because it's nothing. But actually, we're in a war zone situation. And actually, if we try to do it on our own, we're going to struggle. Young people, don't try to do this on your own. Don't step out, okay? Step in. Step into the community. D- you know, y- do you have a favorite Bible verse? Did anyone have a favorite Bible verse? No. You don't have a favorite. Do you have a, do, the Bible? You have a Bible. Some of you have a Bible. Okay, and there's verses in the Bible that just some of you quite like some of the verses in the Bible. I'll settle for that. Excellent. Okay, I imagine that one of that favorite Bible verse in the Bible isn't this. Behold, this is in Matthew 10, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you to the courts and they will flog you in the synagogues and you will be dragged before the governors and the kings for my sake to bear witness before them and Gentiles. Whose verse, whose favorite verse is that? There's nothing about footprints and walking in the sand and you're with me and, and I'll never leave you and never forsake you. It's like I'm sending you into like a situation where you are going to be like sheep amongst wolves and if you, I imagine if you're ever in that situation, you are going to get ravaged. Okay? You just get torn apart. And that's the promise of Jesus. Yeah, I love that verse. Okay? You don't see that on fridge magnets. You just don't. It just doesn't come available as a fridge magnet option. Okay, and you go, well, I didn't read it in the small print. Look, it's not in the small print. That's like front and center. It's absolutely right there. So this young guy I was talking to yesterday, oh, but how do you cope when life gets a little bit tough? Look, 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 this is what you signed up to. 
This is it, you know. You, you've, God has rescued you out and placed you into a whole new kingdom, which is amazing, but at the moment, you're just going to be in some conflict. Okay, did you know that in the first 10 years of this century, it's estimated that 270 Christians died for their faith every day? Over a 10-year period, between 2000 and 2010, over that period of time, that is... One million people killed because of their faith in Jesus. Now we start to get a picture of what being sheep amongst wolves looked like. Opposition, persecution, harassment, discrimination, antagonism. It, it is the normal part of Christian living that I guess many of us have probably not experienced, not many of us want to sign up to. We're living in a what had been in a society that has been fairly accommodating up until more recently. Don't be surprised that the day is coming when it might get a little bit more tough. Now we need to jump into the story. Not the end of the story, phew, we all like the end of the story, but jump into the middle of the story where these three characters, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're having to make this major decision in their life. Do you choose option A of position on wealth and security and safety and life, or do you choose option B, which is obedience and death? <laughs> in this situation, there is no option C. There, there isn't an option C. It's either A or B. Either, you know, bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, Okay, and get everything in this world, or don't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and get thrown into the fiery furnace. That's a really tough decision. Perhaps these guys, I imagine that they would have been family men. I imagine married, they would have had kids around. You know, they could have saved themselves. Others might have said, look, there's no big deal, just bow down, just, 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 just look, because there's no big deal, there's no truth in it anyway. Just bow down, just get it over with, and you can get on with your life. Who benefits if you die? We don't want you to die, Daddy. Imagine the wife, the kids, the sobbing. And, and then the day itself comes and the huge crowd is there and the music starts and the seductive sounds of the music and everyone is suddenly like bowing down and there you go, these three figures who are stood going, we have made a decision not to bow down. Their decision, no compromise. We're not going to bow down to this idolatrous regime. They decided to swim against the tide, against the flow at whatever the cost, because that was the price of their spiritual integrity. Now, some of you right now might be having to make some really tough decisions. Choices in life, how you run your business, how you live out your life as a Christian in school, education, at university, how you relate to your family who are putting pressure upon you to act and behave differently, how you stand for Jesus. And you're trying to work out whether it's worth it or not, or whether he's worth it. And all the collected wisdom around you might just say, don't be stupid, be rational, be sensible, be wise. It might be your parents, it might be your friends, it, it might be your colleagues, it might be Google. Whoever it is, they might all be saying, do you know what, just go along with the flow. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, look at their response. They said this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, be it known to you, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God can. We believe he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. And there will come a moment in our Christian life, or moments in our Christian life, where we're going to have to be making some decisions. What are we going to do? In that conversation, in that moment, where you know what you say is going to be very unpopular, 
your actions are not going to be acceptable within the society in which we're living. Now, I'm saying don't be careless and don't be unwise in how we do that, but there is going to come a point where we're going to have to be brave and going to have to be courageous. So it's better to be working at our response now so that when the time comes, you know what you will do. See, God is the deliverer, but even if he doesn't deliver us, he will be with us. Do I stand for my faith? Do I make the right decision? Be strong, show courage, make the decision. It's about making the decision. And do you know what the promise comes? Make the decision, and then Jesus will walk with you in that decision. And that's what we see back in the story. So they made the decision. We're not going to bow down to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to take the consequences. If that means going into the furnace, we'll go into the furnace. And that is exactly what happens. They get thrown into the furnace. But the promise, look, look, look. People will ask the question and do ask the question. And they say, where is God in the middle of pain and suffering? It is a really, really tough question. I understand that. We, we ran a series a number of years back called Big Objections, and one of the biggest objections that people have is, is, is how can there be a God of love when there's so much suffering? It's, you know, when we have the accidents and when we have the cancers and when we have the illnesses and when we have things that happen, and it's a natural, I believe, a natural response for us to turn around and go, how could this happen? How can you believe? You know, here we've got a glimpse so that actually the bad stuff can still happen. But the promise comes is that Jesus will walk with us right in the middle of it. That's the hope. In the middle of it. In the middle of the cancers. That is the hope. In the middle of the heartache, the hope is that he will walk with us. You know, in this situation, it's like going, looking at it going, who is this fourth person in the middle? Who is this? He looks like the son of the gods. Better translation, he looks like, he looks like the son of God. A fancy word, theophany. A literal appearance of God here. God will walk with us. Where's God in my soul? He's walking with us. So that, that's the difference where we're at. So, so the world that doesn't walk in belief or with Jesus doesn't have that confidence or assurance. If we're Christian, guess that's what he's saying. Look, in the furnace... He's going to be with us. Sometimes he will deliver us out of the furnace. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigo. But you go, but Graham, lots of million people died in the first 10 years of this century. They did not know the physical rescue, but it always rescues. Because this is not it. So one day I was walking down the seafront of Eastbourne and I was telling my friends who we just moved to Eastbourne nearly 20 years ago, oh, there's a lovely cafe down here, lovely cafe. Walk down the seafront, there's a lovely cafe, a place called Hollywell. We're walking down there, there's a lovely cafe. We walk right down pretty much to the end and there's no cafe and we just turn around. Oh, we thought there was a cafe, we turn around. Well, we didn't realise if we'd walked about 10 more metres and looked to the right, just around the corner, there is this lovely cafe. What we couldn't see was what was around the corner. But it was there. Jesus always promises to rescue. It might just not be throwing us back into this world, but it promises to rescue what's, and bring us to the place that is around the corner. And that's the hope, that's the assurance that we have. So when we need the courage to make a stand, and we're afraid to make no, it's having the courage to make a stand because we know that this is not it, there's something around the corner. So how do I make a courage to stand in school? How do I make a courage to stand at uni? How do I make a courage to stand in my workplace? How do I make a courageous stand? Whatever the outcome, it's okay because this is not it. 
this isn't it. The, you know, how do I face the cancers? This is not it. How do I face the heartache and the, oh, when things happen in life which just tear us apart, how do we face that? that this is not it. Firstly, he promises to walk with us. And then he promises to deliver us. Around the corner, if not back into this world. See, no other religion talks like this, about the God who suffers with us and for us. How you can believe in a loving God? Well, he just walks with us. Actually, we ultimately, we see it at the cross. At the cross, he carried the pain. On the cross, he carried our shame. It's like a parent trying to step in. <laughs> Steps into our distress. He throws himself into our circumstances of life, into our furnace. The cross shows his love and nothing else can change this. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, Paul says to the church in Rome, chapter 8. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and we had this favorite Bible verse. This is what we had at our wedding. Okay, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. If you're looking for a favorite Bible verse, that, that's a good one. Convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. It's, it's about knowing Jesus. That's the key. Knowing Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar's response was quite staggering when he realized that these guys are surviving and don't even smell a smoke. And he pulls them out and he just says this statement, verse 29, there's no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And that's where we stand today. There's no other God who can rescue us like this. This is our hope. This is our confidence. He has rescued us. If you're in a tough place now, having to make difficult choices, decisions, what are you going to do? Are we going to be people who bow down to the expectations and the demands of the world in which we live? Or are we going to bow down to the one who rescues and walks with us through the flames? Of course we need wisdom. Of course we need compassion. And of course we need courage. You know, we're living in a world where we've got to be cautious in terms of what we say and how we say it. I, I'm not saying just be foolhardy. So, of course, we need to be cautious. We need to be compassionate. I love Jesus' response was often mainly out of a response of compassion. And I love, there comes a moment when we'll have to be courageous. Do we bow down to the one, Jesus, who rescues and walks with us? So, some of you didn't have that favorite Bible verse of Matthew 10 that, you know, you're going to be sent as sheep going amongst wolves. But at the back end of that same verse, verse 19, it says this. Jesus said this. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you act or how you are to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in the hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks through you. Don't be anxious. The Spirit of the Father will be with you. So as you make that courageous decision, God's going to be with you. What am I going to say in that situation? God will be with you. That's the promise. We're not making a stand of our own. We're not making a walk on our own. The Holy Spirit will give us the courage that we need in that moment. We have the God of heaven on our side. 
and is the one who ultimately rescues. So the question is, how do we live out being a Christian in a world which doesn't necessarily share our beliefs? Well, I want us to do that with courage. I want us to do that with a conviction. I want to do that with a sensitivity. I want us to be living in a society and a community that wants to bless the world in which we're living. Seek the prosperity of this town of Seaford. Do all that we can to make Seaford the best place that it can be. But at the same time, live in a way that shows with deep conviction the change that Jesus has made. Father, I pray for us today that you'll help us. You help us do that. Just as we wrap up, I guess, the, the time right now, is that, Holy Spirit, we look to you that you will give us in those moments the courage to believe you, to take you at your word, the courage to believe that you'll be with us, that this isn't it. Lord, I pray for any of the young people here who are going to have to face that whole bombardment of stuff, whether online, social media, or in schools. Lord, please help them. They have it really hard and tough right now. I pray for anyone in the business world or in the public sector having to make some tough choices about what they can and can't do and how to communicate and how to make decisions when um, maybe that they're being pressed to make decisions which at times conflict with our belief. Father, please, would you give wisdom in those situations? Help us to have compassion when speaking to people that we don't have to try and defend ourselves but that we can respond uh, believing that you know you will you will defend it or others will. So Lord, we pray for wisdom. Uh, I ask please, Lord, that uh, this uh, building down in the town centre will come through quickly. Uh, Lord, we want to get in there not so we can closet ourselves away as some sort of safe place, safe haven, but we want it to be something that blesses this community. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us and help that situation get resolved. We've been asking for a long time, but we ask that you resolve it and that we can get in there in the next few weeks and so that we can be the blessing to this town that we want to be. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.